Let's listen together to Philippians 1, beginning at verse 12. This is God's holy and infallible word. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of the Lord more courageously and fearlessly. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. That's God's word for us this morning. We started this happy book of the Bible, which is a letter to the church of the Philippians, a month ago. And after that, we had Palm Sunday, Easter, a Mission Emphasis Sunday last week, What we noticed in the opening of the book, we noticed right away that Paul had great affection for this church in Philippi, which is a city that's in uh, present-day Greece. He loves them so dearly, and he's rejoicing and thankful because the church, like we talked about, was on the right track. And we saw in these verses what that meant exactly. And and we saw how, according to what we read at the beginning of Philippians, Faith CRC is a church on the right track too. And then at the end of our reading a month ago, we saw this prayer, and it's in verses 9, 10, and 11. And it told us something pretty striking and interesting, that a church on the right track is filled with people who are on the right track in terms of their spiritual lives, in terms of their purity and holiness of life. In other words, how each one of us is doing in our walk with God impacts the church family as a whole. It impacts our mission, our success, our health, our growth. And that's a little scary. That, that puts some pressure on us, or it should, um, 
But, you know, they say some pressure is good in life. You don't want to have too much pressure, but some pressure is good in life. And this does not have to be scary. I think what it should do is drive each one of us to our knees so that we would pray Paul's prayer for the church, which is a prayer for each one of us, that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may discern what is best and that we may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a wonderful prayer he has for us that we're encouraged to pray. So in other words, by praying that, uh, we acknowledge that, hey, we do sometimes get off track spiritually in our lives. We call out to God that he'd forgive us for that in Jesus' name. And the Bible says he's happy and eager to forgive. And then we ask the Holy Spirit that he would get us and keep us on track better in the future, that our, our lives would be holy. And, and so that's an important prayer, not just for ourselves so that we'd have a closer walk with the Lord, but because each one of our lives makes a difference in this church as a whole. Each one of us has been called by God to this church family for a reason. And, and sometimes we feel like, well, really, what do I have to offer to the church? But the fact is that each person's presence, prayers, sharing, serving, caring, however the Spirit prompts us to be able to participate, each one of us makes a difference. No matter how young or old you are, no matter uh, how wealthy or poor, no matter how important or unimportant by the world standards or in your workplace, each one of you is a child of God. And, and I want to tell you this morning, brother and sister, that uh, you are part of God's family here at Faith, and we're so blessed to have you. Starting with what we read today, Paul is telling the Philippians about the situation that he's in currently as he writes this letter, letting them know how he's doing. They were probably worried about Paul. They knew he was in prison. Um, the Philippians would have been concerned. This is the pastor who planted their church. He's locked up in prison. What's going to happen to him? They love him. Is he going to be executed? And bigger than that, what's going to happen to the spread of the gospel when the greatest missionary of the early church is locked up? Here's what stands out when he shares what he does with the church in these verses that we read. Despite the situation that Paul is in, and it's a difficult situation, he rejoices. And he says it twice in verse 18, and the very end in verses 25 and 26, he twice uses the word joy. In fact, as we go forward in Philippians, we'll see that uh, it's probably the most joy-filled of all the letters that Paul wrote that are in the New Testament. 
the most joy-filled letter, and yet he's writing from prison. And so what I want to focus on this morning is this joy and how that's the attitude of God's people that we need to have here as God's family. And that doesn't mean when we talk about rejoicing, later on he's going to say rejoice in the Lord always. We'll talk more about that verse later in the book. That doesn't mean we always have to wear big grins. We don't have to have big don't worry, be happy t-shirts on every day. Every text, every post doesn't need a few smiley faces. Life is hard. The work of God's church is challenging. It's demanding. So this call to joy and to rejoicing, it's not pretending everything is great all the time. However, in the midst of of, of that, there is a deep-rooted joy and gladness for believers that no one can take away. Joy, this rejoicing, it's not part of our mission statement. Those three E's, you know, experience God's word, express God's love, equip God's people to go out and serve everywhere. But what we could say is that this ought to be a key value of our church. Rejoicing and joy, that's got to be a value of the church and of faith church. And we can find uh, a number of reasons in this passage why the church can rejoice, but I'm going to focus just on one, the first of those today. In the first few verses, uh, we learn that we can rejoice even in difficult circumstances. We can rejoice even though we face difficult circumstances. Okay? That, that's, that's the point this morning. This month, May, uh, later in May, in 1980, do you know, can you think about a, a big uh, event, a natural event, disaster really happened? 1980 in May. Mount St. Helens erupted dramatically, and it was the most destructive volcanic eruption in U.S. history. I don't know exactly what thermal energy and megatons are, but this is impressive to me. 24 megatons of thermal energy were released. 24 megatons of thermal energy were released. That's 1,600 times the energy released by the atomic bomb that we dropped on Hiroshima. The entire north face of the mountain slid away, uh, which created the, the largest landslide that has ever been recorded. Ash was deposited in 11 U.S. states and five Canadian provinces. Intense heat melted away the soil, leaving bare rock coated with this thick layer of ash. All the vegetation was wiped out. As President Jimmy Carter described it, afterwards the area looked like a moonscape. 57 people died, 7,000 big game animals were killed, 12 million juvenile salmon were lost, 200 homes were destroyed, and the landslide even completely covered and destroyed a nearby lake. 
Weeks after the blast, an ecologist with the Forest Service was flying towards the site. You know, they, were, they monitored, it, monitored everything very closely afterwards because it was a real learning opportunity despite the destruction. So he was flying towards the site, and he said as he approached that he saw green forest give way to miles and miles of gray strewn with downed trees. Gray strewn with downed trees. And the initial impression was that nothing or few things could ever survive. And he recalled this, it looked like everything had been destroyed, that all vestiges of life had been snuffed out. And after the explosion, that tremendous loss of life, uh, the Forest Service there wondered how long it would be before anything would ever grow again on this desolate landscape. But not that many years afterwards, a park employee stumbled across a lush patch of wildflowers, ferns, and grasses just kind of rooted there, still in the midst of desolation. And it took him a few seconds to realize something kind of eerie. The patch of luscious vegetation formed the shape of an elk. Plants had sprouted up from the organic material that lay where an elk had been buried by ash. And in fact, uh, small signs of life started emerging very quickly after the eruption. And the recovery of life and even that lost lake today is astounding, if, if you check it out online. It's astounding given the initial wasteland, moonscape, destruction. So too, God works and even brings joy in the midst of his people's trials and in the face of calamity. God has done this in my family's life, in the midst of a couple brain surgeries, cancer treatments for me. We, we saw that his, his, his presence in, in the midst of our family again in a smaller way when a daughter recently broke her arm. And, and truthfully, we see small miracles all the time in the midst of the valley of tears that Psalm 83 calls our lives on this earth. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to minimize hardship. I'm not saying this to say we want suffering. I'm just saying that we've been able to identify, not always right away, and, and not always, but we have been able to identify God at work sometimes in very beautiful ways, in the midst of very hard times. Paul is writing in prison. Prisons then didn't have TVs. They didn't have cots or beds to sleep on. They didn't even provide food, generally. Prisoners would depend on people from the outside bringing them their food. Paul was more than likely chained to a guard 24-7, and received physical punishments like whippings and beatings. These were harsh places. Prisoners would often die because of the terrible conditions, and no one cared. Plus, Paul couldn't travel uh, to preach or visit the churches. But Paul writes, and we read this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served 
to advance the gospel. God's word is being spread even though I'm in prison. And he says, talks about the palace guards hearing the gospel message. They know Paul is there for Jesus Christ in verse 13. And fellow Christians in verse 14 have been encouraged to speak the word more courageously in their lives because they see that Paul is still doing it in prison. Even in this most difficult and discouraging circumstance, Paul is doing it, and that's been an encouragement to others to keep that up as well. And you know, God is at work here too at Faith Church, even in the midst of, of tragedies. We lost to glory uh, four, four, four folks in the last little while, in less than two weeks. Um, Jack and Judy, right, and Sylvia and Karen. I also think of, of husbands, fathers, church leaders uh, called home to heaven at relatively young ages, sometimes suddenly, other times due to cancer, a longer time of, of slowly growing weaker, leaving the rest of us in tears, leaving the rest of us in shock, Not that long ago, someone contacted Sarah, my wife, uh, to reach out and minister and encourage, hopefully, a mother in their church who had lost a baby. Now, there was no one else in this church for this woman to compare notes to. No one else with a similar experience to connect with and talk to. And, and so they thought of Sarah, and the reality is, I, I quickly came up with nine or ten other women and families over the years here who this woman could have connected with. Nine or ten other women and families who have had stillbirths, lost babies, children, teenagers. We know hardship, friends. Without minimizing our tragedies, I hope, or certainly not wanting to gloss over them. The truth is, and the reality is, and that in the midst of them, God is at work. And like I said before, it doesn't mean we automatically can figure this all out, or that we even see it right away, or that we even can see it in this lifetime. But sometimes we do. And we know that in our church, in the midst of this, the gospel is still being advanced, as Paul talks about is happening in his difficult situation. He has made us stronger. He has made us more compassionate and more caring and understanding of people with hurts and needs as we have borne one another's burdens. He has made the promise of heaven more real to us and more precious as we think about loved ones who are there, including children. And, and for those children, we know uh, through the questions of why and the intense grief, we do know that Jesus has kept them safe in his arms and that though we'd give 
anything to have them here with us. We can also be thankful that God has graciously spared them the trials and the hardships and the mess and the drudgery that comes with life in this world so often. You know, that that hope of heaven, our, our final destination, can be so muffled by the things of this world and the attractions of this world. But not for many of us here. I mean, it makes a difference when you have a loved one there, uh, and because of these losses that we've experienced, heaven is, is closer. It's right at the forefront of our minds. We want to see them again. We want to go to glory, even while we serve the Lord with all our hearts on this pilgrim's journey. We can rejoice that our God is at work in our midst, in our challenges, in the adversity that we've experienced at Faith Church, and he's using us in the midst of our experiences. All of them. There are hard ones, but there are also great ones, wonderful blessings, like what we're celebrating today, this sacrament, this special covenant family that wants to raise uh, Jackson and in, in the Lord and in Jesus. In all those experiences, the hard ones, and, and the many good ones, I, I don't want to miss that. We have a lot of blessings. God's using us to advance his mission. He's using us uh, to spread the gospel, just like Paul in the early church times. We can rejoice then, this morning, because this church... Us, we have been uniquely equipped and prepared by God to meet one another in our needs as well as those who are yet outside the church in their needs. We can rejoice because even in and through difficult circumstances, even if we're never going to be able to fully understand the hows and the whys of our trials, we know that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us, because the Bible says so, and because Jesus rose from the dead to defeat sin and death and its results, and he gives us that victory. He gives us the victory to his people, his plan, his church, his mission, his kingdom will prevail, even here, even in your hearts and lives. And so, faith, church, Rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this call to rejoice is is very interesting in light of what Paul was going through and and in light of other things that we know he went through in his life. But, But yet, oh God, there's an unspeakable joy that you have for your children. Lord, uh, we don't always feel it. Sometimes we have to uh, depend on the facts of your word and, and then pray, oh, oh God, please, uh, Holy Spirit, work those facts of your death and resurrection and your victory into my heart through the Holy Spirit. Through times of our lives, oh, we have to just pray, oh God, just keep me, you carry me. I'm not, I'm not feeling it. 
Oh God, uh, as we pray for um, each person here in, in their situation, in their lives, we pray for this church as a whole, uh, that we would be a rejoicing church, that we would be a church filled with joy, even while we mourn and grieve and bear one another's burdens. Oh Lord, help us to have joy in the advancing of your gospel and the good news uh, that's, that we have, that we can share, that people could, that they might see it in us, that my, they might see it in our church as a whole, like when we do things like Spring Fest and people drop in, oh man, this place, what is this joy that other people don't seem to have? Lord, even as we pray in a very special way for those in the midst of, of grief, and who are struggling, we, we pray for the joy of the Lord to be our strength, to be a key characteristic of faith church. We have so much to be joyful for as we think of our church family. I pray, Lord, that many here would continue to grow in faith, be equipped to share the faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.